There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 3rd, 2013. I always start off the broadcast by suggesting to people to use the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll find lots and lots of information there for free, uh, free downloads of lots of audios of the talks I've given over many years. And you can also get print-ups as well uh, from, from talks I've given over the years as well uh, and all the sites listed there. And if you go into Alan Watts Sentient, sentinel.eu, you can get print-ups in, in other languages to choose from as well. So I go through the system, the big system we're born into. We're all born into it. We're all conditioned in it uh, from birth, basically. Your parents start the conditioning because they generally don't know uh, that anything's amiss with the system at all. Uh, they take things for granted and uh, they believe the news and uh, they never question uh, the system at all, really. Most most people don't. And uh, and then the school takes over, of course, your education, which is meant to dumb you down even more so by a technique. It's called social indoctrination. And uh, Bertrand Russell and many other big players who gave you the present system in the schooling as well uh, and updated it, in fact, from, from uh, people before him. He, uh, he talked about that in quite some detail in a book called Education and the Good Life, how they would dumb the people down to be particularly correct citizens who wouldn't question anything, obey their authority, and, uh, and just pay their taxes and do their work and so on. So we're living through a planned system. A planned system was planned a long time ago, and we've got to, we've got to go back even a hundred years to find when they came out in the open with their institutions, like the Fabian Society, and also, which is simply a branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, as is the Royal Society too, by the way. And um, the Royal Institute for International Affairs uh, is a private organisation. It set itself up uh, with the Royal Charter to be a private organisation, and they were the guys who decided they were comprised of the top international moneylenders based in London at that time. They were given the task of taking uh, over as much of the world's resources as it possibly could. Uh, the other members at the top uh, were media magnets as well, still down to the present day, in fact, and they decide what news you're going to get, what you're not going to be told. Their counterpart in the U.S., their branch in the U.S., is called the Council on Foreign Relations. And every British um, Commonwealth country like Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, India also has it too. Uh, you'll find that they, uh, they have a branch of it as well. They even set up a branch in, in, the, in the European Parliament. So the top parliamentarians are all members of it as well. So this private organization puts people into politics. Uh, they staff your bureaucracies, by the way. The important bureaucracy positions are staffed by their people. And they run a good chunk of the world now. Uh, 
So you have to go back in, into time, into history, and you've got to read their books by their own personal historian, Professor Carl Quigley, because they have their own version of history. They fill in all the little blank bits that the regular books miss, uh, miss out, actually. And they tell you who finances it, what they wanted to gain from wars and so on, and the wars that they brought on and caused, and what they expected to get out of those wars, which is all, all not just taking plunder, of course, which is a big part of it, that the resources of countries, but also to implement a free trade system. A free trade system meant you to adopt the British system of democracy, which wasn't British at all, by the way. There was a bit of a caveat because um, democracy really doesn't exist as such. The private organization called the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, are the ones that push that, that, the term democracy to get what they want, but they don't believe in it at all. In fact, they believe in authoritarianism. And one of their big think tanks, and they own many, many think tanks across the world which advise governments in all parts of diplomatic policies and social policies and so on. They, one of the think tanks is called the Club of Rome, and they came out in the 1970s, and they talked about democracy not working. They said that the system now was too complicated uh, for, for simple democracy. The public couldn't understand, they were too stupid to understand what's happening, and the goals of the big boys and therefore they had to form a parallel government, a parallel government which would get the job done. And it's been touched on too by Brzezinski and other people too, this parallel government, uh, because all those who uh, leave politics or are in out of politics also belong to the parallel government. They're called technocrats. And they get the work done behind the scenes. They're not elected. They're not responsible to the general public, and they get a lot of things done, just like Tony Blair does. So instead of out of politics, they give them one of these, these jobs, like the quartet, they call it, the group that he's in. So this has been going on for a 100 years, and the, the big boys themselves uh, want to bring in a standardized world, a standardized population that obeys authority. And that's, that's what the, the whole war of terror is about right now is to terrorize you into simply obeying, obeying, obeying authority. That's all you have to do is obey. And if you do that, they'll give you very little problem at all. And, of course, um, they said there's too many competing parties and conflicting interest groups out there uh, to get democracy working properly anyway, you see. Which is true, because, you see, these organizations help to promote and push all these radical organizations in fact, they make sure that our tax money funds them. To get money from the government, you have to be have to say that you have a radical non-governmental organisation. It's a radical change. If you don't see radical change, you don't get the cash. So your own governments are funding their own downfall, but it's not their downfall. It's to change into the new system and to get all the rest of the public used to seeing all the NGO handouts right into the newspapers advising you on environmentalism, uh, the Green Society, sustainability, all the things you're brainwashed with, and global warming, of course, too, which are meant to, to bring you into a new system. In other words, the, the old threat is we're here to save you all. We have to do it with authority because you won't save yourselves. That's the con that's going on, you see. So cons are always used. Now, remember, too, the same organization uh, that brought in free trade, they also, also drafted up uh, the, the, uh, the Treaty Amalgamations for Europe, all the European countries. So a private organization did that. They did the one for the tre free trade negotiations for, for Canada, the U.S., Mexico. They drafted up the one for NAFTA to be signed, and most of it's already signed, by the way. 
because they want three trading blocks in the world. The same as Karl Marx in the 1800s talked about. Three big, huge trading blocks. And they're, they're pretty well getting their way. Also, the intent was to bring in a new feudal system. A feudal system. The, the new feudal overlords are to be the CEOs of top international corporations. And that's already happened, by the way. Just think of Goldman Sachs or IBM with their smart cities and so on. Did you get the right to vote? Should they get the, the, the rights to make these smart cities and smart zones and smart meters and network systems for you? Of course you didn't. The government demands you comply with all their systems. So we're living through a planned society, uh, an authoritarian society, the war of terror, and with all the police shootings all over the world and tasering folk who are in comas and things like that. Um, that's all to, and you see the cops getting off with it. That's to train you that the cops can do no wrong. They have a term in the U.S. for it, actually, uh, that they must get away with it. And I think it's called authoritative um, immunity. That's what they call it in the States. And every cop knows this. And they know they can get away with murder, literally. And they are, of course, as you get trained to simply jump and obey. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. A whole generation was bred on and brought up on, on video games, which are really meant for the military, to desensitize them to, from killing and to kill quickly and, and fast. Don't talk, don't negotiate, just kill. It was done for this particular time when they're let loose on the general public. And it's institutionalized now. The older cops are all, this is not just in the U.S., it's also elsewhere. And um, no cops are retiring and the new ones are taken over completely. So once that's happened, folks, you'd have to close the whole system down to change it and fire them all and retrain everyone again, new ones. Back with more after this break. We're back cutting through the matrix. I've mentioned for years that anything at a large scale, a big thing that happens, was planned years ago. And you find that these organizations I'm talking about, the ones that own the big tax-exempt foundations that finance thousands of non-governmental organizations across the world to change politics, society, and everything else, uh, run by the, and owned by international money lenders as opposed to just average bankers, these boys lend to nations, and they can sink nations. One or two of them get together and just sink nations just so, so darned easy, like George Soros did before with Britain. And, of course, we never change laws to stop that and, and put them in prison because they, they run the world, actually. They run the governments, too, have, have your whole life long. But um, when anything happens on a large scale, it's for a good reason. There's always a reason for it, you see. Not never the one they just tell you about. There's always another reason because this this thing about Obama, for instance, with um, defaulting on its debts and it could happen and all this kind of stuff, is intentional. It's intentional. When did the right wing or the left wing ever bother about the debt ceiling? It's never. See, they don't care about the debt ceiling. They're not your people anyway. Same in Britain and the guys that run all their stuff. They're not the people's politicians at all. They're put in by these private organizations. They're vetted long beforehand, before you even hear their names to vote for. 
And, um, and so there's always another reason for whatever they want. And they always create crisis all the time. Crisis creation is great for getting what you want, you see. Now, in the, the, the stock market, which is a con game to begin with, I mean, you've got 200 families running the stock market, really, apart from all the rest of the folk, but 200 families slush, they slush around billions uh, each every day. And it can sink or, or, or swim or float nations or whatever. And, uh, and it's always rigged. It's always rigged. And then they say is even involved in it too. Of course they are. And every special intelligence agency, the Mossad and so on, they're monitoring all the different things that are going on and, and getting the inside dope, tapping folks' uh, lines, etc. to see, see where they're going to invest and what they, what they think is a good sure bet and all the rest of it. They can't fail you when you get all the inside knowledge. That's even come out from the NSA at one point when the leaks that came out. So you live in a completely rigged system. That's the bottom line. It's always been rigged, though. Anyway, uh, you, you find that um, crisis is great for getting, as I say, for what you want to get through. Now, in the stock market, you've got to have confidence. It's all run on confidence. And even students on economics get told uh, the first thing they do is always to create, no matter what's happening, if it's all going to, care, to hell in the handbasket, you say that everything's fantastic, that there's good opportunities coming up. You know, it's confidence for the people to keep investing and buying and so on and so on, stocks, etc. So when, remember when George Bush Jr. was in, and he came in and said, oh, there's, going, there's a bank crash coming, he says, so the head guy of the U.S. is told to go out there and tell people there's a bad crash coming. As soon as he said that, they knew darn well everyone was going to pull and, and sell off their stocks or peanut, get rid of it, get rid of it, unload, which is going to cause the crash too. It really brought it on, you see. Guaranteed. So the th- same thing's happening now, you see. And I said at the time, you know, the whole point of this and, and with the crashes in across Europe and all the farces of bailouts that they've done since then, is to bring up the International Monetary Fund up to its proper status as a big debt collector for all the borrowing, you see. That's part of it. In fact, in Europe, they've even given the IMF what they wanted. They now can go in and go over every country's books. So you're no longer a nation. These guys come in and do your bookkeeping and go over it for you, you see. And they are a private organization, again, created by these international bankers from London who set up the Royal Institute for International Affairs, the private club. And they set up their private group, the International Monetary Fund. They set up the private group, the World Bank, you see. They set up the Bank for International Settlements in Switzerland, in Basel, Switzerland, private again. We're run by these private interest groups all to do with money. And money makes the world go around, at least the, the, the world that you're used to, the one that you've been trained is all real. And we're all trained to use it this way. It's been real. Money's real, you see. Even though it's all based on faith, because there's nothing else backing it. But anyway... Obama's come out now, and of course, out of this whole debacle will become, uh, people will be crying in the newspapers, oh, get back to work, get, get them, get it through, get, get the, get the debt ceiling, uh, raised, etc. And save us, save us all from oblivion, you see. There's always another reason for what, they, for the game they play, you see. So here it comes, of course, it says here, you should be concerned. Obama warns world markets there's no guarantee the U.S. will avoid defaulting on his debts, you see. From the headman himself, that you think is a headman, but he's not really. And it says, the exasperated president says, a shutdown feud may prevent debt solution. They've never looked for a debt solution in the history of private banking. 
uh, lending to nations. There's never been a debt solution. He said, when you have a, 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 fact, a fraction willing to default, we're in trouble. He says he's not willing to water down the health care bill to break the deadlock. And then he held a crunched meeting with Wall Street bankers over budget impasse. And then the biggie one, of course, the biggie. Anyone who's anybody has to have been trained or, or be an ex-employee of Goldman Sachs, of course. Goldman Sachs, Chief says, consequences of default are extremely adverse, you see. And the pundits will take extremely adverse and go into all these horror stories of what could happen, which won't happen, you see. But again, they'll have world meetings about it, and again, more uh, more clout will be given to the, the Bank for International Settlements, the World Bank, and the IMF. That's the purpose of all of this, too. And, of course, global governance is all part of it as well, to stop countries from deciding not to raise the debt ceiling. Because they're all doing it. They've always been doing it. Because built in your system is debt money, which means every month you've got to pay back at the interest. And there's not enough cash to go around to pay it all. So that, that comes out, as I say. Then Obama meets with Goldman Sachs for a new line of credit in violation of U.S. law, it says. The current U.S. president has chosen to meet outside of government law, possibly selling off additional parts of the nation's sovereignty to men in suits who are more than ready to capitalize on the current U.S. budget crisis. Well, they certainly are. Uh, U.S. Treasury uh, head Jack Lew described the situation as follows. If we have insufficient cash in hand, it would be impossible for the U.S. to meet all of its obligations for the first time in our history. And Reuters uh, Wire reports that U.S. President Barack Obama has met with top bank chief executives to discuss the government shutdown and the looming deadline to raise the nation's debt limit. The bank chiefs he met with include such upstanding moneylenders as Lloyd Blankfein of Goldman Sachs, Michael Corbett, that's of Citigroup, and Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, and Brian Moynihan of Bank of America, and it's worth noting here that each and every one of these men have presided over one financial fraud or scandal of some kind over the last five years, it says. As it happens, J.P. Morgan just offered the Fed's $3 billion to end probes into its dodgy mortgage business. So, it's all playing out as it's supposed to play out. With all the same crooks. All the same crooks. Because I'm about the banking vultures and so on. And yet Obama has met with Goldman Sachs and company in order to arrange for a new debt ceiling or more accurately, a new line of credit. The only problem is you cannot do this during a shutdown. Such an act is in direct violation of the Anti-Deficiency Act of 1870. Well, since when does the law ever bother these guys? It was a real law, in fact, passed by Congress and also amended several times. This U.S. law clearly prohibits our government office holders from incurring any monetary obligation for which the Congress has not appropriated funds. This is, um, administration officials should be concerned about this important 19th century law, one they could send them packing or perhaps imprisoned should they choose to, as the president has today. Take the law into their own hand behind the back of the American people while the government is shut down. Well, they do anything they want, folks. Haven't you noticed your whole life long? Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 
Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix Talking about nothing happens on a big scale Especially from the top uh, Publicly Unless there's another reason for what they're really wanting And the whole point is to bring up the IMF And all the big banking boys up their proper status As controllers of the world And the private feudal system That are all issued for international affairs wants and he, so we've already had Goldman Sachs after the presidents giving the warnings. Now you have the IMF head, naturally. They're all getting on the act because this is their job. It says it warns the U.S. debt crisis threatens world economy. And it says the IMF managing director Christine Lagarde says failure to raise the U.S. debt ceiling would be a far worse threat to the global economy than the current shutdown. And then they go through why it's happening and all the rest of it. But uh, it says Mr. Lagarde's comments were echoed by the U.S. Treasury. We're run by private interests. What's the point of having a government if we're run by private interests? Huh? I mean, who can pretend you have something called power and democracy on behalf of the people? It's quite, quite a utopic wish thing, isn't it? And it never ever materializes. Never will either, by the way. But the world runs on money, and the big boys planned this out a long time ago to bring in their new system to run the world properly. That everyone else was just too stupid, and they got bad genes, and there was down below their bad breeding, and they would never rise to the top, because all the evolution had taken place a long time ago, and they had risen to the top. That's what they claim. That's what they claim, the eugenicists are in control, and they're the same boys at the money boys, too. So anyway... The IMF will get more power. And it's interesting, too, everyone I've mentioned is a crook. Even Christine Lagarde, remember her home was raided uh, not too long ago? Because she'd, uh, in her law position, she'd, she'd got somebody off the hook in some scandal and awarded them multi-thousands of dollars at the same time with people's money. But that would be brushed under the carpet. She also, like all the boys at the World Bank and all the rest of them, they pay no taxes at all. At all. Not bad, eh? And they run your worlds. Yeah, they run the worlds. Also, this little thing, of course, a capital lockdown occurred, uh, occurred uh, in the U.S. Uh, it was lifted after gunshots report or some One police officer believed injured, but I haven't heard a real report on what's happened there at all. He said some woman drove a car into the gate or something, and I think the cops shot her. Uh, and it'll come out as time goes on. It's maybe some other stunt. We just don't know what's going on at, at this time because there's so many stunts being pulled. And then you have Obamacare, which isn't Obamacare because you see the previous boys uh, pushed it too. And Hillary Clinton prattled on about that years ago that we bring in this new, new uh, health insurance system for the public. And over the years, if you've known people in the, in the U.S. hospital uh, system, They'll tell you they'll be upgrading and changing all in preparation for changing over to this new system as well, before Obama came in. Anyway, it says, Obamacare Exchange uh, leaks data of 2,400 unsuspecting customers. An employee of Minnesota's Obamacare Exchange, Emin Schur, sent an unencrypted file to the wrong person and left 2,400 people's private information at the mercy of a nearby insurance agent. One exchange staffer, a simple mistake, gave insurance broker Jim Costler access to an Excel document of social security numbers, names, addresses, and other personal data for a whole list of insurance agents. Luckily for the 2,400, Costler was cooperative and unnerved. The more I thought about it, the more troubled I was. He says, 
And he says, what if this had fallen into the wrong hands? It's scary. If this is happening now, how can clients of MN Sure be confident their data is safe? Well, there's nothing electronic that's safe, folks. I've read that the scandals in Britain has had the National Health Service for years. And uh, millions of folks' data has been put out there. Millions. And it will continue to be that way, too. As we everything gets privatized more and more and more. And also this article, too, on automatic number plate recognition. It's got a little history of it, how it started, where it started, and so on. And the usual way that things are introduced to con the public uh, through the public relations departments, that are propaganda departments that, that all government agencies have today. But it says that... Um, it stands for automatic, it's called ANPR, stands for automatic number plate recognition. In North America, ANPR is known as automatic license plate recognition. And it says, um, what's wrong with ANPR reveals the civil liberties concerns in relation to the police use of number plate cameras as mass surveillance tool. It was first developed and used in the UK, but it's now being used worldwide, and this issue has global ramifications. The report looks at the development of automatic number plate recognition cameras since they were first deployed in a secret experiment on the M1, that's the motorway in Hertfordshire in the 1980s in England, uh, through to the still secretive modern network of cameras that's capable of storing the details of 50 million number plates per day. Number plate recognition cameras have been missold to the public. Everything is missold to the public. Back in the 1980s, it was claimed that the cameras were developed only to find stolen vehicles. Uh, then as a, a nationwide network of thousands of cameras was quietly constructed in the early 2000s, it was said to be for finding incorrect registered or untaxed or uninsured vehicles. However, another little notice to use uh, was stated in the Association of Chief of Police Officers, uh, is NPR strategy doc- documents that of tracking vehicle movements is used for that too. Not just vehicles linked to ongoing criminal investigations, but all vehicles with information to be stored in national and local databases for two years will be forever. So this is a mass surveillance tool which was constructed without any public debate. Well, most things are without any public debate. Yeah, understand what the, the, the silent majority means. It means most folk could accept the system as it is. They're not involved in anything. And they believe the news they're told. Uh, you see, they, they've already been trained very well. They're under an authoritative sort of system. And, and they accept that. They accept they're an authoritative system. The people come out, who come out of special wombs called bureaucrats and, and people above them are running the world. And, and they have the right to do so. And you just obey little old Jew, and you're called the silent majority, you see. Many people are silent. Also, the chief of the uh, Department of Homeland Security's privacy officer, says his government called the privacy office terrorists. It's, it's, understand slogans are great. Lenin said it, you just tar someone with a, a, a term that's been made to sound nasty, like a Nazi or whatever, or terrorist, and, it's, and it shuts you up. It takes you aback, you see. And so it says, Department of Homeland Security pretends it still has privacy officers when they've all quit in disgust. And it says, um, it was written by a Wall Street journalist, it says, from a DHS privacy officer, Mary Ellen Callahan. DHS privacy officer was accused monthly of being terrorist by the DHS. And it's, that's the Department of Homeland Security. IC stands for Intelligence Community. 
says it's not an isolated or melodramatic statement. Rather, it's how the Homeland Security and Intelligence communities look at privacy. For example, former NSA and CIA boss Michael Hayden compared privacy advocates to terrorists. If and when our government grabs Edward Snowden and brings him back here to the U.S. for trial, what does this group do, said retired Air Force General Michael Hayden, who from 1999 to 2009 ran the NSA and then the CIA, referring to nihilist anarchist activists, Luzax Anonymous, 20-somethings who haven't talked to the opposite sex for five or six years. That's what he said. They may want to come after the U.S. government, but frankly, you know that the Dalton Mills stuff is about the hardest target in the U.S., Hayden said, using a shorthand for U.S. military networks. So if they can't create great harm to Dot Mill, who are they going after? Who for them are the World Trade Centers, the World Trade Centers as they were for Al-Qaeda? Hayden provided his speculation during a speech on cybersecurity to Washington Group, the Bipartisan Policy Center, in which he confessed to being deliberately provocative. And then it was on to a similar report last year that came out too. So that's the new term now, as you're called a terrorist, and even official privacy officers, which governments have, by the way. So that's the term they're all using. If you go along with it all, you're a terrorist. Also, this article is called The True Signs of the Shadow Banking System Revealed. It says the shadow banking system is vastly bigger than regulators had thought. See, economic physicists who have developed a powerful new way to measure its hidden impact. It's about the, all the other ways that banks get around all different laws and move big, vast sums of money to do certain investments and so on. And you don't even hear about the investments, but this article goes into them. And, and they're way ahead of, the, of what they were before the crash, actually. They were doing a lot of it back then, moving money around into shady things. But it's much, much bigger than it was then. So nothing's, nothing's held them back at all. I'll put this link up tonight with all these other links at CuttingThroughTheMetrics.com after the broadcast. And this little thing caught my eye, too. It says, Diamond Selling Giant De Beers is holding its final uh, site in London this week as it prepares to move its auction rooms to southern Africa. And it's interesting how things are planned well ahead in advance. I'll go through this again after this break. Folks, we're back cutting through the matrix, talking about De Beers, the big, big diamond company that sells rough diamonds at auctions and so on, and supplies a lot of them across the world, even to New York for, for making into jewelry, etc. And down through the time, you know, you find that, um, for instance, De Beers was set up by Lord Rothschild and uh, Cecil Rhodes. That's one of the first acquisitions that they got after they, they caused the South African Boer War. And they did, by the way, because they both belonged to the group that eventually became known as Royal Institute for International Affairs. And, um, but they actually mention here that they're moving, as it debuts, is moving to Gaborone, the Botswana capital, from next month in Africa. And it says it handpicks 
uh, 80 buyers to buy rough gems from its mines under a system of predetermined allocations and regular sales meetings known as sites from, from next month it will be held in Africa. So it's all set to go and they're moving off. It says the decision to move made in 2011 will cost nearly £74 million, which includes new offices in Gaborone and follows years of negotiations between Anglo-American-owned De Beers and Botswana, the largest producer of gem diamonds. There's another country involved big time here, but they don't mention it. It says the move has been hailed at the end of an era, etc. Founded by Cecil Rhodes in 1888, it started trading in London towards the end of the 1930s. And then you, you go back a bit to see why Botswana. Well, it says Botswana, this is back in the year 2001, Botswana builds a UAV surveillance force. Uh, Botswana has created an intelligence-gathering unmanned air vehicle capability following an order for Israeli-built systems. Israel's in there big time. According to sources in Botswana, the southern African country recently signed a contract to purchase at least three short-range systems from Silver Arrow. The Botswana Defence Force plans to deploy the systems along its borders with Namibia, uh, South Africa and Zimbabwe. The contract includes training, training of Botswana and personnel by Israeli teams. Sources suggest the deal could lead to the purchase of higher or larger UAVs with greater range and longer endurance. Uh, in other words, it's all predetermined because Israel's got a big, big hand in the diamond trading business. And some countries, of course, have been c- cutting down on, on smuggled diamonds and so on. But if you're living in Africa, it's much easier to get the stuff uh, from one place to another rather than outside the country altogether. There's, there's always the same things involved, folks. Also, just for those in Ohio State, now that the U.S. Army is completely, or the, the police force is completely militarized, that's the whole point of, of, of what's happening, again, with, with the police and the war of terror. The cops at Ohio State now have an armored fighting vehicle, and I'm sure they'll be glad to join all the rest of the fighting vehicles. It says it looks like it belongs to an Iraq or Afghanistan, and uh, uh, this has got a PR thing, actually, all oh, ha-ha, happy, happy, happy. Anyway, it says Gary Lewis, Senior Director of Media Relations at OSU, told Daily Caller via email that the unique special purpose vehicle is a replacement for the police uh, fleets. He called the armoured jalopy an all-hazard, all-purpose public safety response vehicle with obviously enhanced capabilities and, and so on and so on. So they're all getting it in the US as they get ready for the big, big changes that are still to come. Big changes, folks. And this article, too, is to do with, um, this is, it's, it's quite funny, really, it's from the Washington Post. Like, I just noticed that uh, the Syrian rebels in the so-called civil war, uh, that are trying to get the government out are mainly outsiders. This has been in the news for, for months that they're all outsiders. The West has been hiring them, recruiting them in their own countries and sending them over there to fight, for goodness sake. Anyway, it says, but the flow of jihadist volunteers has accelerated and non-Syrians have become begun taking the head or the leads in a variety of roles as the Al-Qaeda-affiliated Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, called ISIS. Oh, they love that word ISIS, don't they? Attempts to assert control over large areas of the rebel-held north. 
foreign fighters, um, man, man checkpoints, service commanders on the battlefield, and have become the de facto rulers of towns and cities in areas under rebel control, giving them a visible and much feared presence across large swaths of territory, according to Syrians living in the north as well as analysts. So there's nothing new in there at all. I mean, the West has funded it, started off with the soft power, student rebellions and the whole bit, and then followed up with the hard power sending in foreign mercenaries. So, so the big deal, eh? The big deal. Now, as you know, the Prime Minister of Australia, uh, who was often popular, Julia Gillard, uh, she um, was often popular for bringing in the carbon tax and helping destroy farms, saying you had to pay your taxes for the farm, but you couldn't use the land anymore because it was a carbon sink and things like that. And she rooted for Rothschilds, the big boys that put forward the, the carbon taxes and so on. That really, They were the guys who dreamed all the that up, you see. Because it's a great, fantastic cash cow for nothing. For nothing. Uh, anyway, uh, it says, there's an article here. It says, Gillard gets Jerusalem Prize. The Zionist Council of Victoria, Australia, has announced that the recipient of this year's 2013 Jerusalem Prize is Julia Gillard, Prime Minister of Australia in 2010-13, in recognition of her outstanding contribution to strengthening Australia's connection with Israel. So she did all the right things and, and so on. And then she gets this. Is, so now she's been appointed to a US think tank. This is her payoff, you see for doing uh, all the bidding of those who put her in. Julie Gillard will use her credentials as an education reformer. That's her credentials, apparently. When she starts work with a leading U.S. think tank on advancing girls' schooling in developing countries. The former Prime Minister has joined the Washington, D.C.-based Brookings Institution <laughs> as a non-resident senior fellow, where she will work to advance the, the Centre's key initiatives on global education, which is indoctrination, of course. Um, Ms. Gillard said she was honoured and, and delighted to accept the invitation to become affiliated with global education programmes at the prestigious research institution, and so on and so on. So uh, everything's working out for her as it was planned to do as long as she tried to get the current taxes passed and so on. That was getting payoffs, you know. That was getting payoffs. I remember when Brian Maroney pushed an after thing through and uh, and changed all the laws for mining in other countries and Latin America and all the rest of it. And once he left, he got a whole bunch of directorships, uh, uh, positions, and he got uh, free shares in big companies, big gold companies like Barrick Gold and so on. And yeah, that's how it was done. Or look at look at Tony Blair. You'd do about ten shows just on him. Now, Japan now is to pay $3.1 billion to remove U.S. troops from Okinawa. And, and, and it'll, put, it'll now host spy drones. U.S. Defense Secretary Chuck Hale and so on. They'll pose together, it says. And it says, uh, the Tokyo is to foot a $3.1 billion bill, which is part of the cost for relocating American troops from Okinawa. For the first time, it will also host U.S. long-range surveillance drones, which would help to monitor disputed islands in the East China Sea. That's getting so radioactive there, but he's pulling out. The cost-sharing agreement for the troop transfer and the future deployment of drones by next spring are both part of an effort aimed at updating the U.S.-Japan military and diplomatic alliance, it says. So, as a pledge to modernize the alliance, as for the first in 16 years was made in a joint declaration during the visit of U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry and U.S. Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel, who met their Japanese counterparts. And also, bring us into... Uh, the Jimmy Savile thing, which is kind of fading away. It was a great distraction for folk because uh, he's dead, number one. 
And most folk don't really care what happened way in the past. So I hate to say that, but it's true. It doesn't matter how horrible it was, which it was, of course. And of course, it also meant too that, that so many in the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, saved him, saved his hide many, many times and, and knew what he was up to and let it go. But uh, there was one guy came out who was in a group, and he, John Lydon, you know, and back in 1978, you'll put this link up for YouTube, he said he'd like to kill Jimmy Savile. He was trying to break it on the BBC then, what was going on. And the BBC censored part of it, of course, for the one that they, they showed the public. So it's just amazing how they stand up for each other, just like that, you know. There's another article today, too, about um, Woody Allen. As one of his other daughters, his adopted daughters, apparently has been molested, according to her. So these guys were well protected, and nothing will happen, generally. And tonight, too, I'll put an article on... Um, <laughs> this one here, company with $1.2 billion Obamacare contract is under an investigation for a serious fraud. Now, this is one of many. Uh, as, 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 this is great. Oh, it's just, it's a boondog, this whole thing. This mandatory federal insurance schemes with private companies and so on. That's going to rake in billions of dollars eventually. And they're already at it for serious fraud. From Hamish Mosier from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God, your God, school with you.